So I've been listening to a um, TED interview, which is like a long TED talk, basically, where they interview someone who's given a TED talk. Um, but I've been listening to an interview with Angela Duckworth. And Dr. Duckworth has spent her whole career studying the essence of grit. Not the grit you put on the ground, but the grit that we have inside of us, that thing that kind of helps us do the things that we need to do. And she talks about grit as being the thing that we do, that we do for a long period of time, that somehow we keep doing this thing. But she also talks about grit in the same sentence as she talks about audaciousness. And that audaciousness is showing a willingness to take surprisingly bold risks. That it's important for us to try something new. But in more recent interviews, she also talks about exhaustion. And exhaustion just isn't tiredness. It's something that you can't actually rest from. The people are in exile in Babylon. By this point in the story, they have seen their political and religious leaders taken away. Jerusalem is falling and their king, Zedekiah's family, has been killed, and he has been blinded and also taken to Babylon. It would not be outside the realm of possibility that these folks would have been the ones who were weeping beside the waters of Babylon. They were exhausted and dried up. And God comes to Ezekiel, who is most likely with those exiled in Babylon, and leads him to a valley of the driest bones you could ever see. Like, think bones out on the salt flats of Death Valley, kind of dry. And Ezekiel is looking around him. And I'm sure, because I probably would be doing the same thing, he was wondering, okay, what's going on? Especially... When God asks Ezekiel, mortal, can these bones live? The book of Ezekiel is written to remind the people that God is holy beyond their understanding and control. So God is very purposely respond, or asking Ezekiel and using the term mortal here. So we remember that God is beyond our understanding. Mortal, can these bones live? I wonder if Ezekiel was thinking, what is God up to? What audacious thing does God know that I need to know? Because Ezekiel knows the answer, the logical answer to this question, right? Can these dry bones live? No, these bones can't live. And yet, there's something about Ezekiel that keeps him from answering that way. And I think it's because God, or Ezekiel knows our God. Ezekiel knows that God is an audacious God. He knows that God is about to include the mortals in exile in that audaciousness. And we know that God includes us in that audaciousness as well. 
And God does that thing with breath. Sure, there were sinews and skin and all of those kinds of things, but what is incredible is when they start breathing, when they are brought to life. And that's exactly what God promises here. I will cause breath to enter you, God says. I will put breath in you, and you shall live. We know that the breath of God lives in us. We know that because the breath of God lived in Jesus, who died and rose for us. And it's Jesus who reminds us when he's having dinner with his disciples before he dies, that the Spirit will come. That God will send the breath of God to us, the one who will speak up for us, the advocate, Jesus calls him. This is the image in this text that we need to hold on to. This image of the Holy Spirit, the one who brings life. Spirit in the Old Testament is ruach. And that's something that lives, that's breathing, that is the breath of God breathed into us from the very beginning. If we remember our story from Genesis 2. And as our very breath then, Psalm 139 reminds us that God is closer than we can ever really comprehend. You think about your breathing right now. Take a deep breath. I mean, we don't think about breath usually unless we're trying to like calm ourselves down or get ready for something tough. But that is how close God is to us as a part of who we are. Ruach also describes the palpable way people experience the irresistible force of the Creator's power. This force that lives within us, but also without us, like, right? Because God appears as wind and as thunder and as fire throughout Scripture. And there's something about those things that just takes us along with them, right? I was outdoors on Monday. I was taking my cat to the groomer because he refuses to let me snip his toenails or his nails. So off to the groomer he goes, which he hates even more, but he hasn't quite figured out the connection between those two. Anyways, you don't need to know all that. We got out of the car and the wind said, oh, good. I'm so glad you're here. Here, let's go. And away I went. (laughs) I couldn't help it, right? Like, it was so powerful. It just moved me along the way. God's Spirit does that same thing in us, bringing us to life. But the other thing you need to know about ruach is that it is related to a word called rewach, I think. I can't pronounce it. It's R-E-W-A-H which means breath. Ruach creates space. It sets things in motion. It leads us. It is life. To breathe life into something as God breathes into these bones, as God breathes into us, is to transform it, to change it, to make it new. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. 
But this wasn't a magic elixir to make pain and exhaustion of exile go away. But the Holy Spirit made room for all of it, for the pain, the exhaustion, the hope, and the joy of returning. And that's what we remember here in Advent, that God makes room. God makes room for all that we bring to God. The pain, the exhaustion, the hope, the joy, and even more. We know that God makes room for that because God sent Jesus to live our human experience so that God would know what it means to be human, what God needs to make full room for. There wasn't a human experience that Jesus did not know. Which is why, on that last night, he says to his disciples, I am sending the Spirit to you, the advocate, the one who will speak up for us, who will intercede for us with sighs too deep for words, who will be our voice when we can't find our own. This is the spirit of truth, God, or Jesus tells us, from God, standing up for us as we testify to who Jesus is and what that means for our lives. This is the spirit of truth that will stand beside us as we wade into uncomfortable and uncharted waters, which we've been doing a lot of, right? Like, that just seems like that's what the last two years have been. Jesus makes room for the spirit to be in our lives through his death and resurrection. And because of that space, space is made for the disciples to flourish and to grieve and to get it wrong and to do amazing things. And like them, we are guided into the truth that we know through God that love has come in unexpected ways in a variety of forms, but most notably for us in the form of Jesus. So we follow his way of love, which always makes room. Room is made for all to be welcome, even when we don't agree. Room is made within us and outside of us for the expansive and audacious love of God that changes the world in ways we can't even imagine, but that we are a part of. Friends, it would be so much easier for us if God just took us out of that equation and did whatever God needed to do on God's own. But that's what's so audacious about our God. Can these bones live? Our answer would be like, nope, no, they cannot, which is what I said at 5 o'clock this morning when my alarm went off. Nope. And God's answer is, well, watch. Watch what I can do with you who dare to believe. Let's make room for some dead bones to come alive again. Amen. Amen.